Have we reached the end of American politics? As dark as these times may be, every single day, all of us have the opportunity to be the light. Because those who want this to be the end of politics, mm -hmm. those who want this to be the end of democracy, want you and I saying it's over. If you shut down that family member or that friend of yours saying, you're ignorant, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're never gonna get them to open up. But, but the messaging on the left, quite frankly, has sucked. It's because sucked they're so consumed with making sure to include every single possible person. Last thing before we get out of here, we play another game on the show. It's called Life or Death Hip Hop Karaoke. Oh my God. What up, what up, what up, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls. Welcome back to another edition of the Charles Coleman Podcast, your favorite podcast. I don't even have to do the introductions. How do this, you know it's their favorite podcast? Because they, it just is. It is. It already you're, is. You're manifesting its success. Of course. I like that. You see that? I like that. I like that? it. Your favorite podcast. You don't even have, I don't have to do the intro. I don't have to tell you where to find us, Spotify, Pandora, Apple, Google, all of the places, YouTube, all of the things, because you see what it is and you know what time it is. I always say that I work with dope folks. And today I have the pleasure of bringing the dopest to the couch. Please give a warm welcome to my friend, my colleague, someone who I have sort of adopted as a mentor in the media space, the lovely Stephanie Wool. Ah, thank you, thank you, thank you. So good to see you. So good if, to have you. If you've you adopted on the couch. me in the mentor space, you've screwed. <laughs> <laughs> Not at all. Um, Really, really good to have you. Thank you for being I'm here. I'm honored to be it. here. This is amazing. She has shown so much love to the podcast just in terms of my intro. You've seen her on CNBC. You've seen her on Bloomberg. You've seen her on NBC. You've seen her on The Today Show. You've seen her on, of course, The 11th Hour, where you've seen me on MSNBC. And now you get to see her on the Charles Coleman Podcast. So and I'm thrilled to be here. This is exciting. Um, so before we get started, we have a game that we play just to sort of loosen things up. When All I have right. my contributors here. It's called One's Gotta Go, all right? And all right. so I give you four things, and I realize that, like me, you are a child of the 70s and sort of grew up in the 80s. So today's category is 80 pop culture mo movies. Oh my God, I thought we were about to play Mary F. Kill. Woo, this no, is so no, much no, better no. than I thought. <laughs> no, yes. no. One's Gotta Go. So I'm gonna give okay, you four okay, movies, okay. and one of them's gotta go, all right? Yeah. 16 Candles. Oh, I love it. Breakfast Club. Love it also. St. Elmo's Fire. Worship it. Karate Kid. Oh, I can't. I can't. I mean, it's impossible. I mean, I, I would like to say about all of them except Karate Kid, you know they're dirtier than you realize? Yes. That's, that's kind of, of the them, thing, though, too. All of them are dirtier than you realize because each one holds a very special place in my heart. And so I always corral my kids together. I'm like, yo, 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 guess what we're going to watch? And then they start, and I'm like, what? What? I mean, it's like it's like if you watch Coming to America. Right. There's so Who many remembers you... that opening scene where yes, they're in the pool? Comes... Correct. Where I'm sitting here next to all of my kids as, as they're going, <laughs> what is she doing underwater? And I'm like, let's change the channel. Um, yeah. I guess I'm gonna go 16 candles. Really? Only because, because I just think all of the rest um, have more significant meaning, right? Uh, one of my children, mm -hmm. I actually talk about Karate Kid a ton. I have a child who's got a little bit of Johnny in him. Really? And yes. 
And um, I'm con we're constantly talking about the movie. And okay. I'm like, listen, you have all of the great things going for you. Don't be a dick. Don't be a dick. Right? Don't like, be a dick. Like, I do believe kind is the new cool. And Karate mm. Kid is the best way to teach this to your children. I think that there are so many different lessons in Karate Kid. Totally. As, like, as a mentor to younger kids, I often refer to it because it's just one of those things that if you watch the movie and then you make references to it, you can't help but to want to adopt some of it because 100%. it's just one of those things. So I get it. Um, what a lot of people don't know about you that I'm glad you brought up is you're a super mom. Like, and I, and I watched this from a distance because with everything that you do, and I don't know if you, I don't even know if you were there. I was having the conversations with one, I think it was your eldest. And I was like, I almost brought one of my kids today. You should have. I almost brought them. Yes. Like I love when I get a chance to see them. I'm like, yo, y'all don't realize how dope your mom is. I know it doesn't feel that way because you're just mom to them, but you are a super mom. So 16 candles has got to go. 16 Candles, I mean, Sent Almost Fire was like, at the time for me, like the sexiest yeah, movie I'd ever I get it. seen. I, get it. I just loved it so much. Um, I just think 16, and, and Breakfast Club is so iconic. Like each character I connect with. 16 Candles is my, is my, my one that I love the least. And okay. when I think about movies that I watch with my kids right now, it's probably the most inappropriate culture. <laughs> so, okay. Probably the most inappropriate. Stay away from but that I love one. them all, but I love them all. I figured that would be a tough one. We always yes. play it. We Better Off Dead is really high up for me, too, just okay. so you know. Yes. So for me, like, the other one that's high up is Lost Boys. Oh, I can't. See? See? I mean, Lost Boys is one of the best movies of all time. Of course. Of all time. And completely underrated. I think that, like, young Kiefer Sutherland, just that, that era of those actors. So I, I had a chance to meet on another note. So my favorite movie, you may not, like, rock with this. My favorite movie is Goonies. Really? Oh, yeah. Of all time. Of all time? All time. Very few people who know me know me know that. Like, I'm a huge Star Wars fan, but like Goonies what is like a my weird favorite. ass pick. I mean, I, know, I happen I, to I really like I, Goonies. Yeah, but I, I like, just, some of people are like for your favorite of all of time. Of all time. All time. All time. So I happened to meet Steven Spielberg one day um, when they were celebrating the 75th anniversary of NBC News. And he showed up. He was there, yes. And like we, it was the coolest thing ever because like Valerie Jarrett is there, and I, you know, spoke. To, and I'm just waiting to talk to Steven Spielberg, and I talked to him, and I was just like, you know, hi, Mr. Spielberg, I'm the biggest Goonies fan ever. And he was so excited. He had like questions, like he's like, what is it about that movie? Yeah, what is it? Why do you love it so much? I think number one, given my age at the time. Just the idea of this adventure and being a young man and like growing, it's a coming of age story in a lot Outsiders. of ways. Outsiders. Yeah, because, and then it's also the notion that like the kids have to step away from their parents in order to save their parents. And then in the process, there's like this journey of self-discovery. And then there's like a playful sort of like almost competition for being the leader among the young men and they all sort of find their way in their specific lane, which I but thought they also, was dope. listen, all of them are in broken circumstances yes. and they create uh, this beautiful brotherhood. They make it work, right, yes. exactly. They make it work, right? Like even, you know, and it's very much in the tradition of, you know, for me as a young man, you're thinking about Lord of the Flies, you're thinking about Stand By Me, you're thinking about all of these stories uh, particularly around like adolescence and what it is to sort of find your way. And so that's a big part of what attracted me to that. So. There's much more love in Goonies than the other two. Oh, by far. 
But that's why I like it because it's funner. Yes. Like there's yes. this fun, yes. there's this adventure of fun. Yes. And it's kind of like this relatively innocent mischief that they kind of even start with to embark on this journey, which is why I love it. You know. Wow. Like, yeah, yeah. I like that. Fun facts. So, you know, transitioning to our main conversation. Vampires in Northern California. <laughs> uh, well, there's that part, right? Um, or I mean, Lost Boys. Adventures Who would have picked that? Astoria, yeah. Oregon, right? There you like, go. Exactly. Yes. Um, I just got to ask, and this is from, I was, I was at home and I was watching a special and our colleague, Joy Reed and you were sort of going back and forth. I'm just going to ask, have we reached the end of American politics? No. You don't think so? No, never. I mean, listen, I'm a, I'm forever the house optimist. Okay. And, um, as dark as these times may be. Every single day, all of us have the opportunity to be the light, and I'm not going to give in to the dark. That's consistent with who I know you to be, both on and off camera. That is very consistent. Here's why I'm telling you this, because those who want this to be the end of politics, mm -hmm. those who want this to be the end of democracy, want you and I saying, it's over, we're done. Mm. It was seven years ago that Steve Bannon, who I believe is really the puppet master, behind so many things in Republican politics today. He did an interview, I can't remember who it was with, and it was when he was talking about how much he respected and admired Stalin. Mm. And he said, I just wanna blow the whole thing up. Right? It's, very clear, it's very clear that that's up. And that is what he wants to, to do. And if you look at um, sort of that Far right, it's crazy to me when we call it conservative faction of the Republican Party, because in my mind, when you think about conservative, conservative are people who are rooted in, whether I subscribe to them or not, very, very traditional American um, family values. That is not no. what far right conservatives are today. Um, and so when you look at that movement that's making a lot of noise and creating a lot of disruption, None of those people are actual legislators or lawmakers, mm. okay? You mm. tell me, Marjorie Taylor Greene, Jim Jordan, uh, Matt Gates, Lauren Boebert. Josh Hawley. What, not Josh Hawley so much, but take those guys. What bills have they led right. that were signed into law, Right. okay? That's the thing, that's the thing, and, and you know. And, and, and That's what, when you talk about politics and lawmaking, it's people who show up, with a set of ideals, they have to figure out who are my constituents in total, how do I serve them, and then how do I pull together enough votes, enough voices to get my agenda passed? Mm -hmm. And so those really loud, disruptive voices right now are causing all sorts of problems, but I do believe this will pass, but not if we just hear idly saying like, it's over, it's over. We can be part of the solution, and I'm not saying, we as Republicans, or we as Democrats, we as voting Americans. So you mentioned for a second, you mentioned Steve Bannon. And I do think that on a lot of levels, he doesn't have, or he isn't held to a lot of accountability in terms of what role he played here. But I wanna go back even a little bit further. It's a gift of being a puppet master behind the scenes. Do you think that this is a continuation of Karl Rove? or do you think that this is something worse and different? Because I, I look at sort of the like 
fear-mongering and the use of those tactics to invite or open the door and usher into a new era of politics where truth became relative and malleable among the electorate. And I look at it, not necessarily starting with Karl Rove. We can go further, way further Karl Rove may have opened the door. Right. But um, in the same way that uh, when Mark Zuckerberg says, like, I didn't know, you know, the the, the monster I was creating, mm. Karl Rove didn't know it was coming here. I think that that's fair. He, he had no idea. I think that um, that's fair. I think this whole, um, it was two months after President Trump was elected, and I remember Kellyanne Conway, a former spokesperson for him, was on Meet the Press with Chuck Todd. And it was the first time I heard it. And it was, you know, in theory, you could say, like, who cares about crowd sizes? But remember, Trump was insisting that yeah. he had this enormous crowd yeah. that he didn't have. Right. And people were obsessing over it. And I remember at the time being like, who cares? We have to care. Because when the person who occupies the Oval Office is blatantly lying mm -hmm. about something as, as disprovable as that, what else would they lie about, right? So Kellyanne Conway's on TV with Chuck Todd, and he actually pulls up the two pictures that says, here's what the president is trying to claim the crowd was, and here's the truth. And she says to Chuck, oh, well, those are alternative yeah, facts. Right. And I'll never forget the day she said alternative facts, mm -hmm. where I was like, okay, mark this day down. And then that became a reality of, you might believe one thing and I might believe another, and then we have two different truths. And so what we can do is be disappointed in that, give up on it, or we can sit here plugging along and talking to that neighbor who has different views than you do and talking to that family member who doesn't and just respectfully talk them through the truth. It was just, just recently somebody was on TV with me and they were talking about um, the dispute uh, in Gaza City over this explosion that happened in a hospital. In the hospital, yep. And, um, you know, early on people, you know, blamed Israel. Now they're saying, no, it was Hamas or it was another terror group. But the saddest thing was I had a reporter on who covers the region, and she said, they're going to get to the truth. She said, it's too early to know exactly what happened. And she said, eventually we'll get to the truth. And she goes, but the problem is the truth doesn't matter. Right. People are going to believe what they want to believe. Right. And so while she's right, people are going to believe what they want to believe. I'm not going to accept that that is our permanent state of being. And what we have to do is keep reporting the truth no matter what it is. You, you, you touched on something that I wanted to get into that I'm really glad you mentioned and you were just talking about the notion of how we have discourse and, and dialogue with friends and family and things of that nature. I've had the pleasure of meeting your mom. <laughs> Who is a lovely, lovely woman. She, I, I 100% understand where you get your spunk from. People always ask me, like, something's different about Stephanie. And, like, before they even get into it, I'm like, she's a Jersey girl. And they're like, like it's Jersey. Oh. I'm like, it's the fact that she's from, it's, that's what it is. And they're like, that's what it is. I'm like, that's what it yes. is. It's so your, state. your mom's political leanings mm -hmm. are different. Totally. They are. They. Your mom is a bit of a conservative. She absolutely is. And she is. She's a Republican. She is. It's, I, I, I'm asking you. What I want to ask you is: Are there any particular lessons that you have taken from discussions or conversations with your mother about just sort of the best ways to get into conversation with people who disagree with you? And as simple for as simple as that sounds. I think it's important for viewers in the audience because we're in a very polarized space now and we don't necessarily always know how to do that. So I'm curious 
How do you do? How Listen, do it's you super do it? hard. You have to chip away at it. You know, my my mother comes to the city every weekend, and mm-hmm. I know when she arrives on Friday, the amount of crazy ass news that she has been ingesting throughout the week is about to lay down in my house. Right? She walks into my house <laughs> and she is already saying to my sons, like, "Boys, don't forget." Make sure you run into a doorman building. If you see something, if you see something, say something. There's slashes all over the place. There are not slashers. The, can, 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 oh. we, can we acknowledge the, the, the code switch of the accent? I mean, like, can we acknowledge that? Like she somehow is telling them that a slasher is coming for them on 82nd and Lex. I mean, it's just like. Have you ever reported about a slasher? I, no, I, right, no. It's I know. ridiculous. It's ridiculous. However, um, do I think crime is up? I do. Sure. Um, do I think safety is a big problem? Um, it's an issue. It's an issue for people who don't even care about politics. But I do think that um, as hard as we all work and the amount of taxes we all pay, that we enter into a belief that the government is going to protect us. That when we uh, walk into a restaurant, we're not going to get held up, right? That our kids are safe walking to school. So while um, my mother is absolutely incorrect and she does subscribe to a flavor of news that plays on her fears. Yeah, yeah. um, And then they just keep pushing it and pushing it. I'm not going to, if you shut down that family member or that friend of yours saying, you're ignorant, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're never gonna get them to open up. Sure. Right? But you just have to chip away at it, right? So she's, she's showing up to the city like, boys, oh my God, the slashes. And so then I'm going to spend my whole weekend with that her walking around crazy. New York City. And then before she rolls out on Sunday night, I'm like, how'd it work out with the slashers this weekend? <laughs> right? And then she has to kind of acquiesce that it was perfectly fine. Right. I think, so, so I think the frustrating part for me with that conversation, because I know a lot of people, we have been in a space for a while. The notion of crime as a talking point politically is not new. We've been there since the law and order days of the 60s. And there's been an evolution of it every so often in electoral cycles. I think what bothers me is the sort of weaponization of crime as a talking point. When you look at where crime is occurring, who's in leadership there, what they've done about it, and what they haven't. And even now, for example, you look at the big talking point during midterms was, look, we're going to do something about crime. That was the big talking point. And there was and no then, agenda to do so. However. And that was, oh, okay, Hunter Biden, though. But, but, That's oh the thing. Gosh. Right. Like, so, but here's the yeah. thing. Democrats do need to be more practical. Listen. They need to be more practical and, and not be such purists. You have to realize, what is the other side going to say? So in my personal view, one of the most frustrating things about crime, you have seen Democratic mayors. You've seen Democratic mm-hmm. governors. You've seen the president spend an enormous amount reinvesting Mm -hmm. in safety. However, who came up with the phrase defund the police must be a Republican strategist because there was no greater gift to Republicans than that phrase. And and that's really another thing that I wanted to sort of touch on is this notion that for me, when I'm looking at the news, when I'm watching everything that's taking place and I'm analyzing, all right, how's this going to play out? One of the biggest things that I have as a gripe with the Democratic Party in general is number one, the lack of a succinct, easily digestible, and credible message 
And number two, an inability to identify a strong messenger to communicate it. Okay, if there's like, one dude, positive thing to say about Donald Trump. Yes, you're absolutely right. Marketability of a, a message. He's a phenomenal marketer. He's a branding superstar. I tell Remember people this. All the time. This man inherited a, a, a real estate portfolio worth a fortune in New York that he squandered into nothing, okay? Right. If he would have actually held on to the real estate assets he inherited, he would be the multi-billionaire he claims to be. He's a failed business tycoon. What he's brilliant at is marketing. Marketing, I tell people all the time. Okay, when you, the best thing he ever did was The Apprentice. And then as a president, as a candidate, he understands messaging and he keeps it tight and he keeps it short and he repeats it over and over and he over. Understands Half messaging. of it being lies. He understands messaging and he understands his audience and what they gravitate to. I tell people all the time, for what it's worth, in 2016 or 2015, during the campaign cycle, regardless of where you stood on the spectrum, you were very clear about what the messaging from that side was. It came out, make America great again, America first. Those were the big talking points. You didn't know what it meant, right? But it sounded good and it was digestible and repeated by everyone and on that side. And they wrapped themselves in the flag that and they hijacked the patriotism. And yeah, then I asked, brilliant. And then I asked people, think back, what was the opposing message? And it was like, oh, well, the middle class. Mm -hmm. We're gonna, and I, and I said, that does not work. For the average voter, you have to have something for any voter. that is going to be succinct, that they at least sort of kind of know what it means, even if they don't know what you're going to do, that they can sink their teeth into and say, this seems to represent ideals that I agree with, that I'm in line with. And then from there, you can talk about how you intend to achieve that. But, but, but the messaging on the left, quite frankly, has sucked. It's because sucked they're so consumed with making sure to include every single possible person and not to offend any possible person. It's sort of like this is... Democrats are unwilling to sing happy birthday until they can guarantee every kid in America has a cupcake. And while I mm. would love mm. for that to be the case, that ain't gonna win elections. That's very interesting to hear from you. I agree with you. I have long since said that the democratic sort of intuition of trying to expand the tent to get everyone under it is going to make the tent pop. It's one point. of the reasons they fail at economic messaging because mm. even when they have a great economic story to tell, they're afraid to tell it because they know some people are left out. Now, here's the thing. Some people are always going to be left out. Mm -hmm. Now, what Democrats need to realize is, but we need to work on this positive economic messaging because if we don't and we lose, the people who we're worried about who are going to be left out are going to be way more left out when all the social programs that they're dependent on get cut if Republicans win. It was a couple of years ago, I remember talking to someone in the White House. And at the time, there, I felt like there was five very clear, positive points about the economy they could make. Mm -hmm. And we're just on the phone talking about it. And the last one was the performance in the stock market. And he was like, one, two, three, and four, I agree with you on, but number five, and we, 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 we can't say that. And I said, why? I said, do you know who looks at their 401ks every day as much as it is wealthy hedge fund managers in New York? It's teachers, it's firefighters, mm -hmm. it's nurses mm -hmm. trying to figure out when can I retire? That middle class okay? that seems to be so When you elusive. think about who owns the stock market, 
It's pension funds. Right. It's insurance companies. And so like this misconception that it's just Wall Street fat cats, it's not. And this this fear that Democrats have in 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 touting a, a positive economic message is a huge mistake. Because in my opinion, one of the number one things people vote on is the economy. It and is. How the economy is treating them. It goes back to James Carville's sort of like catchphrase of, it's the, the economy, economy, stupid. It right? is. Like, and, and, and it he's, is. And he's not wrong. He's absolutely right. Uh, we haven't talked a lot today, and I'm glad, uh, about 45, because we always talk about Trump and all that. But I want for a quick second for us to talk about it from a media perspective, because I remember back in, during the campaign, before he was elected president, I think it was 2014, 2015, I was at another network. And um, I remember saying to an anchor, I said, he is a much more difficult cover than a lot of people give credit to. At the time, because I think at the time there was this assumption that you know, we'll be able to figure it out. I said, he's a harder, he's a much harder cover than a lot of people think because even if you are a journalist with the greatest amount of integrity, fact-finding, all of the above, you're dealing with an audience for whom facts do not matter. And he plays on that. I, he also and, made himself extremely accessible. Right. So you don't even have to go to the news. Like, come to me. I'm your source because you can't trust that. That's fake news. So he's invalidated or attempted to invalidate a lot of what media already does. How do you feel like at this day and age when you know what a thing is, you've seen it before, you've watched it operate, you know what it's going to do, how do you sort of draw the line in terms of this is essential coverage that the American people needs and like Donald Trump told another lie, so what? So like it's really tricky because to not cover it that's the challenge. You're normalizing it and you're accepting the lie, right. right? You're accepting the lie and you're giving it the chance to spread. However, Donald Trump does subscribe to all press is good press. Mm -hmm. And I can remember during his administration um, having a conversation with his son-in-law, Jared Kushner, who was a senior advisor. And I don't remember what I was complaining about, but Jared said to me, look up at your TV. He goes, you know, you know, and, you know, goes, are you in an office? Are there multiple TVs? And I said, yeah. And His said, voice is not that deep, by the that, way. Okay, that's 100% true. The first <laughs> time, okay, the first time Jared Kushner called me on the phone, I thought I was getting punked. Tammy he told me, me on the story. Phone. He called me on the phone on like a Friday afternoon at three o'clock and I answer and it's like, hey, Stephanie, it's Jared. And I'm like, who the F is this? And I'm like, who's messing with me? I'm like, I got a kid to pick up at school. I got shit to do. And I'm like, who is this? And I hang up. I think he called me one or two more times, and he called me because um, it was when Jared and others were working on the First Step Act, uh, okay. and I care a ton about criminal justice reform, and he called me to talk about it, and it was a totally productive conversation. But you are right. I wasn't prepared for how high his voice was. <laughs> I wasn't either. I found I out by, by surprise. I wasn't prepared for how high yeah. it was. But he said to me, look up at your TVs, and Trump was on every single TV, right? He dominates the news cycle. There's much you have to cover, especially when he was in office because he was the president of the United States. Um, but it's a balance. I didn't then and don't now, I'm not putting any spokesperson on TV, okay? I'm okay. not putting a spokesperson on TV, especially if the interview is gonna be spicy and it's gonna go yeah. viral, F that. I'm not here for your circus. I don't need to have a TV show with anything that goes viral ever. 
Okay. Mm-hmm. Everything that I make on my show uh, or I do for NBC News, I want to go through the lens. Did this help people get better and smarter? And we don't yeah. always, we, yeah. we're not successful at it every day, but we look at every segment after. And if it didn't, we say, well, we're not going to make that mistake again. And a person who's just a spokesperson is just a mouthpiece. Right. They're not working on policy. They're not working on solutions. And that mouthpiece, especially if they're working with the former president, there's a lot of lies. Like I'm part of the problem that in 2016, when we were putting all those surrogates on TV, even the best anchor out there, you're not going to stop every lie, right? If you and I start an interview and straight out of the gate, I'm telling you that the grass is blue and the sky is green. I'm not going to catch all of that. Mm. And we have to be hyper aware of that. And we should bring principles on TV, right? Like, like when my colleague, Kristen Welker, um, took over Meet the Press. Shout out to Kristen for that. That's huge. Huge. And huge. I was blown away by the blowback she got, we all got, mm-hmm. for her platforming Donald Trump. I, I'm going to tell you, I did not expect that. I didn't see that coming from a mile I away. Did. I did. And I did because the precedent existed when CNN did it. Yes. But CNN did a deal with the devil in agreeing to do a town hall right, with Donald right, right, Trump right. in a room full of 300 sure. Trump super fans. But I think that I think that when you look at the core audience or a significant amount of the core audience, I still wasn't surprised because you're talking about a group of folks who have made up their mind. I might be willing to hear from the other side, but not that guy. Because that guy almost blew this whole entire thing up and I want nothing... I, and part of the problem is he had a platform that allowed him to do this. So why are we continuing to give him that platform? Because at the time, he's the Republican frontrunner. And if you we're credible, and if we're, we'll see, if we're credible news organizations, we're absolutely supposed to interview mm-hmm. the Republican frontrunner. Just like CNN should have Donald Trump. Do I like the way CNN did it? Hell No. Um, but but that is an issue of the media has to figure out how do we cover this guy? But to not cover him, to not sit down and interview him, I would absolutely <coughs> interview Donald Trump. What I will not interview is one of these asshat human shields <laughs> who worked for him, right? Lots of the people who were in his administration could not have gotten themselves invited to the White House. I mean, Sean Spicer was his press secretary, yeah. okay? Yeah. The last time Sean Spicer had been on the White House property, before being the press secretary, he was literally dressed as an Easter bunny, okay, for an event. I did not know this. Okay? There were Fun facts. There were people who were so blown away, right? Peter Navarro, these are kooks, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. who were so blown away that they could even get an invite to have a cup of coffee at the White House, that they're willing to say or do anything. And I'm not I mean, speaking at, at a school based look, on the people I'm talking about who have been, ch- Sean Spicer hasn't, but Peter Navarro, but look at John who's Eastman. charged by our government. Right, like yes. look at John Eastman. You're talking about someone who is a fringe lawyer with fringe theories on the outskirts of both politics and law, who's now indicted because he was so eager that someone would take him seriously that he would basically put anything on paper, even if it was illegal, to try to construct a I scheme mean, to overturn the election. I mean, my pillow guy walking yeah. in and out of the yeah. White House yeah. like he's got a key the to access. the joint? Yeah, okay. I, I, I get it. I think that, and I understand, and, and, and generally speaking, agree that from a journalism standpoint, it's important that someone who's in his position 
is questioned and is interviewed. And and the 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 spokesperson is not the person. That's not the guy. I think that it's it requires very, very tough journalism to actually do it. For and sure. that and that might be what people feel like they've lost the appetite for. They haven't seen, you know, coming from anyone who's not affiliated with the right, your One Americas, your Fox News, your Newsmaxes and and all of that. And that is in part fueling the aversion. Um, people need to, I, I just think, we want the people, like I want to hear from President Biden more often. Sure. A and so I just think that um, if any of these elected officials would like to hold these positions, look at Kirsten Cinema. When was the last time Kirsten Cinema mm -hmm. did an interview? Mm -hmm. I can't even think of it. And if people want to be elected, if they want to serve the American people, they should sit down for interviews and tell their stories. Now, I think that as journalists, um, we should make sure if we have the opportunity to interview lawmakers, we are doing our homework and we're asking the most important questions right. there are. Right. Um, and it's too bad, right? Like I cannot get Republicans on TV. I can get Republicans who hate Donald Trump on TV. And that's a bummer for me. I want them to come on television, but I get it. If you're one of them, they don't want to come on television because they don't want to have to explain him. Mm. Right? Yeah. They, 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 they don't want to have to say, yep, he said that he thinks Hezbollah is pretty good. Here's right. why he said. They don't want to do that. Right. Um, and it's a problem. And I don't know the right path for us to get back. All I know is we got to just cover the news and cover it honestly every single day because that's what the American people deserve. This has been uh, a fantastic conversation. That's no surprise to me. But I want to ask you, give me, as someone who sort of watches these things, you are obviously in touch with the pulse of where things are headed. Give me, based off of where we are now, your three bold predictions in terms of okay. what we will see either before the end of the year or like quarter one, 2024? Going into this election, there are a lot of terrible, worrisome things happening around the world. However, okay. from a voter perspective, mm -hmm. I think the economy is going to be front and center. I think I inflation is not as bad as it was in terms of prices going up, but life's really expensive. It is. Life being expensive, matters to voters because lots yeah. of people are going to say, you know what? The government doesn't work for me. It hasn't worked for me forever. Irrelevant of who's in office. And lots of people aren't paying attention to politics, but they do know their life is really expensive. And this is a really difficult needle to thread for this administration Very because much they so. have done a ton of positive things. And we have, we have come out from the depths of economic perils during COVID and we've made enormous strides. Obviously, no one was planning that there would be a war in Ukraine. Right. No one thought the situation in, between Israel and Hamas would happen, or not the average person. Big things that put a weight on our economy, it's going to be a really big deal for voters, and it's going to end up being a bigger deal than lots of things that we could all argue matter. Mm -hmm. But at the end of the day, lots of people are going, I got to put food on the table. I got to make sure I can afford to drive to work. That's going to be a big issue, number one. Number two... I am panic-stricken over misinformation and disinformation. Sure. If you thought it was bad in 2016, get ready. 
as, as rockets are going over the Middle East, misinformation is being shot from bazookas across the internet. Donald Trump running for president, he is running for his life. Absolutely. He is running to keep himself out of jail. He is running to seek revenge on his enemies, mm. okay? You've got Vladimir Putin, who is dealing with a painful war in Ukraine, and we could argue that Russia's losing. No, it's losing, people are losing. People are dying and suffering every day. Vladimir Putin would love to Donald, not see Joe Biden in Donald office. Trump to be back. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? He would love to see the NATO alliance weakened. Absolutely. And so where could lots of that misinformation come from other parts of the world that want to confuse us about our election here, about the situation in Ukraine, about the situation in the Middle East? I'm very and and only making things worse, tech companies are leaning out of regulating, mm -hmm. especially Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, because they don't want to appear biased. I'm very, very worried about misinformation. And my third prediction, I don't think Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift are going to make it. <laughs> I know it's an unpopular That is a view, shocker. I, but, but um, you know, I, I, I'm excited for them. I'm a Taylor Swift fan. I think Travis Kelsey's a great football player. What a personality. What a cutie. I mean, they are getting... There is so much attention on mm -hmm, this. Mm -hmm. I don't think it's going to last. Do I don't they, think it can. Do these things ever last, though? Like the, like the big celebrity, like mega. Well, Kelsey is, is if you follow sports, he's mega. Yes. Right? Like, Which is why, but, like, I just love all the, the Taylor Swift game is on. Right, She's made him. Right, right, I mean, right. I love all that. Um, but like, but do those, do, those, do those spaces ever last? I don't know, David and Victoria Beckham, you got a Spice Girl and yeah. the best soccer player ever. Okay. Okay. Um, I just, um, I know, well listen, people are divided whether they're rooting for them or not. I don't have a, I don't, I'm not rooting for or against them. I just think there is so much on this. Yeah, it's a lot. It's a there's lot. no way they're lasting till Christmas. Which oh means, wow, you think before Christmas. Which means Taylor we're gonna Swift's get gonna a, a great T-Swift yeah, song Taylor next Swift's gonna, year. Yes. She's gonna write a song about it. Yes. She's gonna capitalize yes. on it. That's gonna, I don't think. That, when they break up, that, that will be the one thing that comes out of the breakup. And I'm not wishing a breakup on them, but it, should they break up, that would be the thing. Yes. You know she's gonna get in the studio. She's gonna 100%. 100%. She's gonna be hit. Yes, a hundred percent. So I'm excited about this relationship, <laughs> um, but I my prediction is it's got a short, short, short shelf life. All right, last thing before we get out of here, we play another game on the show. Uh, our colleague Jory Reed was on, and she did pretty well with this. You do not have this. It's called Life or Death Hip Hop Karaoke. Oh my God. You do not have- As long as Joy Reid can beat Ari Melber at this game, that's all I yeah, care about. <laughs> yeah, right, she can, she can. You do not have to recite the verse, although you get extra. At, at this point, if you did, you would be- Okay, don't put pressure on me. Don't no, put no, pressure no, no, on me. No, 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 you'd be in the lead. But you don't have to. Okay, okay, okay. All right, so here's how it works. You have uh, one of your, you, you have your, your favorite son. You don't have to tell me which one. But you have your favorite it's my daughter. Ne neither I, of the boys. I, I, I neither of that. the boys. I know that. Yes. Is captured. You get a phone call. They say, Stephanie, we got your son here, and we will let him go unharmed as long as you can get one hip-hop verse, every single word, right from start to finish. What are you choosing? Something you know from start. This is just one verse, not the whole song, just one verse. Sir Mix a lot. I like big butts. Really? Baby got back? <laughs> 
I okay. I'm not mad. Baby got back is a pretty good choice. I'm surprised. That's like Goonies for me, in that <laughs> it doesn't surprise me, but I still find it funny. So my eldest son happens to love hip hop music and wants to go to every show he can possibly go That's to. That's when we were talking about yes. Travis Scott. Yeah, yes, Travis yes. Scott. So and so after Travis Scott, he was on me to go to. Gov ball and rolling loud mm -hmm. and all this nonsense. And I'm like, you can go, but I'm going to have to go with you. You don't have to sit with me and I'll bring all your buddies. You don't have to sit with me, but like every hour that we're there, because you know, these are giant music festivals. I'm like, I just need you jerkos to check in with me. I need to see the whites of your eyes. I need to make sure everybody's A-OK, -okay, right? So the first year we go to Gov ball, it's great. We go to rolling loud, fine. This year we're on our way to Gov ball and Donald Trump gets indicted. And I'm not going to make this. them get out of the car. I think I remember And I'm this. like, all right, boys, Godspeed. I'm letting you go. I'm going back to work. I go back to work. They're, they're at GovBall. I call my husband. I'm like, take my wristband. You're there. Of course, he's like, well, Steph, I'm blah, blah, blah. Who knows what stage he's at, what he's doing. Five hours later, I happen to go on the GovBall Instagram page. And I go on the GovBall Instagram page, and they're... I don't know how this son of mine wangles himself into some sort of VIP area. <laughs> and you see Ice Spice come off stage, okay? So you see Ice Spice come off stage, she's backstage, and you see this idiot, six feet tall, white boy with giant blonde hair shout at her, I'm a munch, I'm a munch. And she looks at, and of course, Gumball thinks this is so absurd and so absurd, like, like this whole ridiculous, and, and I'm like, and all of a sudden I look at it and I'm like, oh my God. As a follow-up, just <laughs> to tell you guys how true that story is, I was actually in the building the night that this happened. I don't even remember. I guess because we were doing, I was doing Stephanie's show. And so, yeah, of course, because Trump was indicted. Right, because that was right. So yes. It was a legal day. It was a big legal day. So I was doing Stephanie's mm -hmm. show. So Stephanie is like, <laughs> Um, I just saw my son say, I'm a munch. What is that? What does that mean? Does that like mean that he eats a lot? And everybody else was like, no. She's like, he just said it to Ice, ice Spice. Listen, it's Ice Spice. What is what this? What does that mean? And, and we were just like. I was dying, dying. I'm no, like, stop what is this? Means, stop. And people just go, stop talking. Stop talking. Stop talking. I'm like. And I'm about to hit Urban Dictionary. Somebody just takes the phone away. They're like, you should deal with this tomorrow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. No, yes, not, yes, not exactly yes, what that meant. Yeah, but yeah. true story, funny story. Sir Mix-a-Lot, Baby Got Back. Would not have known that about my friend and colleague, Stephanie Rule. Listen, this has been an amazing conversation. Thank you for having Thank me. Thank you so much. This was so much fun. We get a chance to talk all the time, but people don't really... Like, they always talk about our chemistry. And I'm like, you have no idea, like, in real person, in real Because that you're into me? Oh, or on-air chemistry. <laughs> <laughs> see? You see? You see the shit she does? Anyway, listen, this has been another amazing conversation on the Charles Coleman Podcast. Make sure you are liked, subscribed, and following us wherever you get your podcast because we do this all the time. We are not just up. We're not just all the way up. We are in outer space, so come get with us on the Charles Coleman Podcast, your new favorite podcast, wherever they're heard. That's Stephanie Rule, and I'm Charles Coleman. Peace.